for the words that you would have us hear. We thank for you. We thank you for this again, Lord. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for the beautiful music, the appropriate music. Um, as Pastor Eric said, I'm a, a lay person here with the emphasis on lay. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm much more comfortable um, but with a guitar and a microphone than, than standing in front of you and, and reading a message. But um, I have had, um, I feel, the Lord speaking to me about the matter of prayer. And um, I'd like to share that with you this morning. So before I begin, I would like to pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for the gift of prayer um, that it is. And uh, Lord, I, I ask that you be with me this morning. Lord, that uh, anything that I might say that might be contrary to your word, Lord, that uh, that would not be heard, Lord, but um, that we would be challenged this morning to deepen uh, our walk in prayer, to deepen our faith, to deepen our trust and confidence in you. May it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a rather long, lengthy introduction. We will get to Scripture, um, but we'll begin. Will you pray? It was the year 1862 in Bristol, England, during the reign of Queen Victoria. In the midst of the British Industrial Revolution, factories often required 16-hour workdays, and many employed children. Despite working long hours, many families were poor or destitute. One morning, George Mueller stood before 300 children standing in neat rows behind their chairs at the orphanage he ran. Set on the table, in front of each child was a plate, a mug, and a knife, fork, and spoon. George addressed the children. There's not much time. I don't want any of you to be late for school, so let's pray, he announced. As the children bowed their heads, George simply prayed, Dear God, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. Amen. The only odd thing about this scene was that there was no food on the tables because the orphanage had none. George had no idea where all the food he had just prayed for would come from or how it would get to the orphanage. No sooner had the children sat down when there was a knock at the door. In the doorway was the baker. Mr. Mueller, began the baker, and I can't do a British accent, sorry. <laughs> I couldn't sleep last night. I kept thinking that somehow you would need bread this morning and that I was supposed to get up and bake it for you. So I got up at 2 o'clock and made three batches for you. I hope you can use it. As the children began eating and enjoying the freshly baked bread, there was a second knock on the door. This time it was the milkman. I'm needing a little help if you could, sir. The wheel on my cart has broken. Right outside your establishment. I'll have to lighten my load before I can fix it. There's ten full cans of milk on it. Could you use them? Free of charge, of course. Thirty minutes later, George watched the children file out and head to school with satisfied stomachs. Our reaction to this story is to be amazed and in awe of the boldness of Mr. Mueller's prayer. I can tell you that George was not surprised. In fact, prior to entering the dining room, he had been informed of the food situation and had invited the eight-year-old daughter of a dear friend who was visiting to join him, saying, Come and see what God will do. Several weeks later, that girl's mother told George the events of that day had such an impression on her daughter that she had taken to finishing all her prayer requests with, Like you do for George Mueller. Amen. 
Over his lifetime, George had cultivated a lifestyle of expectant prayer. He was born in Prussia, which is now part of Germany, in 1805. In his young manhood, he had lived a godless life as a drunk, a thief, and a liar. But at the age of 21, he turned to Christ at a prayer meeting, and his life was radically changed. While his wealthy father had thus far paid for his education, he decided that he would depend solely on God to supply his needs going forward, which he did. Shortly after graduating from university, he came to England in 1829, bringing with him no letters of introduction, no money, no name, no recommendations, and only a very imperfect knowledge of the English language. But he did bring God. After working briefly for a missionary organization in London, he was called to be the minister at Ebenezer Chapel in Devon. There he married Mary Groves, and in 1832 they moved to Bristol, where he preached at Bethesda Chapel until his death. Mueller and his wife began working with orphans in 1836, starting with their own rented home for the accommodation of up to 30 girls. Soon after, three more houses on the same street were furnished, not only for girls but also for boys and younger children, eventually increasing the capacity to 130. In 1845, as growth continued, the neighbors started to complain about the noise and the disruptions of the public utilities. So Mueller decided that a new location and a home designed to house 300 children was necessary. Seven acres at Ashley Down were purchased at a price far below what the owner had intended to sell for. But George had been praying. In 1849, the new home opened. By May of 1870, 1,722 children were being accommodated in five homes. And I don't know if you can see that up there, but they're hardly homes. They're, they're huge. <laughs> <clears throat> Through all this, Mueller never made requests for financial support, nor did he go into debt, even though the five homes cost more than 100,000 pounds to build each. Solely in answer to believing prayer, more than a million and a half pounds, which I calculated is about $150 million in today's terms, was sent to him for the building and maintenance of the orphanages and for his missionary enterprises, which were vast. In his homes, more than 10,000 destitute orphans were received, trained, educated, and sent out into the world. He traveled nearly 200,000 miles before air travel in 42 countries, preaching the gospel to 3 million people. He testified that he knew of at least 50,000 prayers to which he had received a specific answer. And when asked, he said, because I wrote them all down. Prayer. The Bible is one long testimony to the centrality of prayer. From Tim, Tim Keller's book, Prayer, we read, In Genesis, we see every one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, praying with familiarity and directness to the Lord. Abraham prayed repeatedly and pleaded for God's mercy on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Throughout Exodus, prayer was the way Moses secured the liberation of Israel from Egypt. Prayer permeated the ministry of all the Old Testament prophets. The prophet Samuel stated, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. David composed much of the Psalms, an entire book of prayers, with appeals to you who answer prayer. His son Solomon built the temple and dedicated with a magnificent prayer. The book of Job is largely a record of the suffering and pain experienced by Job worked through with prayer. In the book of Daniel, we read how he was nearly executed by the Babylonians for insisting on praying three times daily to the one true God. 
And following their exile, Nehemiah built the wall around Jerusalem, rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem with a series of great prayers and wise leadership. In the New Testament, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, healed people with prayers, cast out demons with prayer. He prayed often, sometimes all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying, and he was transfigured with divine glory as he prayed. We hear him praying for his disciples and the church on the night before he died, and then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Followed by, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Immediately after the Lord's death, the disciples were constantly in prayer. In the book of Acts, we read that the early church devoted themselves to prayer. Leaders were selected and appointed only with prayer. Paul often wrote in his letters to his planted churches that he was constantly in prayer for them. Prayer is so important that wherever you look in the Bible, it is there. Some of you right now are probably in difficult circumstances or facing trials that currently have you daily dependent on prayer. For others of you, perhaps prayer has always been an area you've thrived as you've enjoyed sweet fellowship with the Father. But I humbly stand before you today, lacking much discipline in this area. I am no authority on prayer. Give me a Bible study or an area I can serve the church. But meaningful, authentic, earnest prayer, that is difficult for me. I hope to share with you but I believe is the Holy Spirit's conviction of this area in my own life. And I trust that if this is also an area where you struggle, that it will challenge you as it has been. With that long introduction, would you turn to James chapter 4 as we come to our first text. <clears throat> James 4, 1 to 3 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James, the brother of Jesus, was most likely writing to Jewish Christians. And in chapter 4, he's warning them, as some had apparently fallen into, a worldly lifestyle. From verse 1, we see there was quarreling and fighting among believers, and that the source was your passions at war within you. Now, passion to know God is a good thing. But what he's talking about here are self-centered desires. The word hedonism comes from the Greek hedone, here, hedone, translated as passions here. The first part of verse 2 goes on to accuse them of selfish desires and coveting what they can't have. And we don't know if he's talking about actual murder here, but we know that Jesus said, if you hate your brother, as if you murdered them. Apparently, some of these believers were so fixated on stuff, so distracted by the objects of their desire, that they fell into prayerlessness. You do not have because you do not ask. That's a shocking statement, isn't it? Is it really true today that we do not have because we simply can't be bothered to pray and ask? Here's some of the reasons that I can fall into prayerlessness, and maybe you can relate. I'm too busy. Life, it comes at you fast. As soon as you wake up, there are things to do, decisions to make. I happen to trade commodities for a living. The markets I trade open Sunday evening at 5, and then they're open 23 hours a day until they close at 2 p.m. on Friday. Every weekday morning, I wake up wanting to know 
What happened overnight? What's going on with different currencies, central banks, geopolitical events, trade wars, regional conflicts, drought, flooding, all of these things in any part of the globe, globe can move markets. If I sit down and start consuming the news, an hour or more can go by before I've even thought about God. For you, it might be the rush to get the kids ready for school each day or planning meals for the week or setting the family schedule or all the above. In our tech-saturated society, time moves at a frighteningly fast pace and we too often do not take the time to quiet ourselves before the Lord. Second, believing the enemy's lie that prayer won't make any difference anyway. Why should I pray for healing for that person with a terminal illness? What's going to happen is going to happen. Why should I pray for that politician in that political party? They're never going to change. Or maybe you've tried praying, but rarely saw answers, and so you've become disheartened and just given up. And third, lack of discipline. Sometimes I just don't pray because I don't want to. Praying is hard. Praying can be dull. Praying is work. There are a million other things more productive I could be doing with my time, getting actual things done. I'm sure there are many more reasons we don't pray, but these seem to be the ones that trip me up the most. How are you doing? Is there anyone here that wants more wisdom to deal with their hectic-paced, complicated life? When is the last time you specifically asked God for wisdom? James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Ephesians 15.1.15-21 For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Would you rather have more of that in your life? God forgive us for neglecting to ask for wisdom. Peel back the scales, Lord, from our eyes that we may know that which is hope, that we have been called and the immeasurable greatness of your power. What about peace? What about rest? Does anyone feel like they need more peace in their lives? Are you praying for it? Second Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself Give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So how are we doing, church? Are we regularly lifting up our pastors and their families to the Lord? Are we regularly inquiring of the Lord to reveal his will for Cornerstone Church, to show us opportunities where we can join him in reaching others for Christ? Do we wake up greeting our Heavenly Father, acknowledging this day is His, asking Him to use us as He sees fit, asking Him to allow us to be a blessing to others, having His divine hand on our conversations that we might have the opportunity to talk about Him? 
How can we expect victory over sin areas in our lives if we don't even prayerfully ask God to reveal them and help us defeat them through the power of the Holy Spirit? How often has the Lord wanted to give us an answer or bless us, but withholds because we simply won't ask? How ridiculous of us to attend church every Sunday, sing songs of praise, attend small groups, and yet wonder why we lack intimacy in our relationship with God when we withhold meaningful prayer. How close would you be in a relationship with someone who rarely or never talked to you, and yet that is sometimes how we treat our relationship with God? Oh, may it not be so. I'm convinced that for many of us, the reason we aren't seeing relationships repaired, friends coming to Christ, deeper intimacy in our walk with the Lord is simply, sadly, because we don't ask for it. Instead, we are devoted to our careers, our kids' schedules, our smartphones. We happily spend hours reading online reviews to make sure we buy the best TV, car, tablet, appliance, all of which can be good, but not when it takes the place of or is at the expense of time in prayer. As Pastor Josh might say, you don't have a prayer if you don't care about prayer. Not only do we not have because we do not ask, when we do ask, we often ask wrongly. James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I like the NIV translation here which says we ask with wrong motives. First Samuel 16, 7b says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We might pray that God would change our spouse in some area so that we don't have to grow in patience. Or maybe we're praying to get out of a difficult situation of our own doing just so we won't have to deal with it anymore. It might be that God has you right where he wants you. Trials are promised to, to believers to build our faith. James 1, 2-3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Or, are you praying for that better-paying job so that you can afford that big-ticket item that you've always wanted? Maybe that's within God's allowable will, and maybe it's not. But what is your motivation behind your prayer? Take some time to examine yourself. Is it to bring glory to God? Or is it selfish? Here's an example of right motives. George Mueller, in describing his reasons for establishing an orphanage, said this, Number one, that God may be glorified, should he be pleased to furnish me with the means, in its being seen that it is not a vain thing to trust in him, and that thus the faith of his children may be strengthened. Two, for the spiritual welfare of the fatherless and motherless children. And three, for their physical welfare. Is your wrong motive a lack of humility? Are you trying to get your way or God's way? Psalm 10, 17 says, O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Another quote from George, I seek at the beginning of prayer to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. 
When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. Regarding the knowledge of what his will is, are you praying according to his word? Some might quote Psalm 37.4, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yay! It might suggest, suggesting that God will give us whatever we desire. But notice the prerequisite is to first take delight in the Lord. The one who is taking delight in the Lord is aligning themselves to God's will. They are going to want for themselves the things that God wants them to have. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. George says, I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. If the Holy Spirit guides us at all, he will do it according to the Scriptures and never contrary to them. What about unconfessed sin? Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And a warning for husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, if you're not treating your wife like the image bearer and daughter of the king she is, God will not hear your prayers. Do you lack confidence in your prayers? Do you believe they will be answered? John 5, 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, which we read before. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Faith is the assurance that the thing which God has said in his, final, in his word is true and that God will act according to what he has said in his word. This assurance, this reliance on God's word, this confidence is faith. Or have you simply given up for lack of an answer? In the parable of the persistent widow we read in Luke, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says? And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? In George's comment, the great fault of the children of God is that they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. This one here gets me. Sometimes in my heart, I complain to God about some issue when I have not persisted in prayer about it. When was the last time you struggled with an issue and prayed even 40 straight days about it? And I mean humbly and deeply and earnestly and authentically prayed, not just a five-second, God, please fix this arrow that we sometimes toss out. I know some of you here are prayer warriors and have been faithfully praying for yourself 
your family, your relatives, and others for years. You are further along than me. But I think for many of us, we give up way too easily. George Mueller prayed throughout his lifetime, day after day, for five of his unsaved friends. One of them was converted with a number, within a number of months. Three others within a matter of many years. The last, the fifth, remained unsaved until the time of Mueller's death when he finally accepted Christ in the aftermath of his old friend's funeral. Fifty-two years of praying every single day resulted in prayers of faith that extended even beyond his lifetime. I subscribed to an email devotional put out by well-known pastor James McDonald of Harvest Bible Chapel, the greater Chicago area. I received this encouragement in mid-July as I was starting to put this sermon together. Praying is meant to keep you believing when your reasons for believing are hard to see anymore. Praying keeps you focused, even when the option of fretting or fixing, fixing the problem yourself seems a more promising alternative. Praying keeps you caring when your natural inclination is to concede defeat and move on to something else. In other words, if you and I would keep praying, we wouldn't lose heart. You want to know why prayer is so hard? Understand that prayer is a spiritual battleground. A familiar passage of Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Our enemy, the devil, knows only too well the damage a praying Christian can do. James, later in James 5:16, we read the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Know this. The devil hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your family. He hates your friends, your relationships. And he will do anything he can to destroy you, to destroy those relationships and tear you down and keep you from praying. And he has been wildly successful in and outside the church. So let's get to some application. What do James' admonishments say to me? What do they say to you? Here's some next steps. As we often read in the Bible, the first step is to repent, to confess your sin of prayerlessness or of prayer with wrong motives or of feeble commitment to prayer and to confess any other sins that might be hindering your prayers. To know God's word. God's will is revealed in his word you cannot pray according to his will unless you know God's word. The two are connected. Be in the habit of regularly reading and praying through 
God's word. Pray God's word over your kids. Start with the book of Psalms. Humble yourself before the Lord. Acknowledge that everything is His. And yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And lastly, learn by example. You know, sometimes we just need help and oftentimes we learn by example. And uh, I was just really blessed by this book, George Mueller's biography. I touched on but a fraction of the answered prayers that this man experienced in his life. Um, this is the children's edition. Maybe that's appropriate for most of us. Um, but you can read this to your kids. It will strengthen your faith. It will make you more bold in your prayers. The online version is 99 cents on your Kindle app. So if you're taking notes, at least write George Mueller's autobiography. And the, and the second one, and I've brought this book up before, is called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. Um, I just want to read part of, uh, of one of these prayers to you. Um, I think it, it gives a good example of the depth that our prayer life can come, <clears throat> can be. It's called Living by Prayer. <clears throat> o God of the open ear, teach me to live by prayer as well as by providence for myself, soul, body, children, family, church. Give me a heart frameable to thy will so that I might live in prayer and honor thee, being kept from evil known and unknown. Help me to see the sin that accompanies all I do and the good I can distill from everything. Let me know that the work of prayer is to bring my will to thine and that without this, it is folly to pray. When I try to bring thy will to mine, it is to command Christ to be above him and wiser than he. This is my sin and pride. I can only succeed when I pray according to thy precept and promise and to be done and be done with it as it pleases thee according to thy sovereign will. And it goes on. And there, there's nothing magic about these prayers. There's, you know, repeating it ten times isn't going to do anything. But what I think it does is, if you're struggling with how to pray, if you're struggling with your depth of your prayers other than give us a safe journey to whatever destination, um, this book can be very helpful. In conclusion, I'm going to be turning... 52 in October. I know it's hard to believe. But lately, I've been thinking more about the last chapters of my life and what they're going to look like. By my reckoning, Lord willing, I have 25 to 30 years of sound mind that I can yet allow God to use me, unless, of course, he chooses to bless me like Garland, in which case, make that another 40 to 50 years. But even if the Lord gives me fewer, I want to make them count for eternity. This line, this line very... This line represents eternity. <laughs> it's not much a good representation. This dot represents your life. I know you guys know where this is going. But actually, that dot's too big. It actually should be more like... Actually, you know what? That's still too big. You, you can't even hardly see that. There is actually a r little red line there. And if we could extend that blue line a hundred times around our Earth that little red line representing our life is still too wide. Eternity is a long time. Eternity is forever. So why are we expending so much time and energy focused on the temporary? 
Why do we not have time for prayer? In his latter years, George Mueller said he looked forward to heaven so he could see the tens of thousands of children and adults he saw come to Christ. What treasure are you storing up in heaven? Who are you investing in? It won't be our stuff that comes with us to heaven, but who and what we impacted for Christ. And what will happen in the second half or second two-thirds of your life without meaningful prayer? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please forgive us for not praying like we should, for having a cavalier attitude towards prayer, for allowing the distractions of this world to keep us from praying, for allowing our enemy to gain a foothold. We acknowledge the power there is in prayer when we pray according to your will. And when we come to you with right motives, you've promised to hear and to act. And so, Lord, would you strengthen us against our enemy? Would you give us a passion to delight in and follow you? Help us, Lord, to come to you in humility with open hands, not grasping for control, but allowing you to do your will through us and everything for your glory. How freeing, Lord, to give you control. We pray this in confidence, knowing you will answer, just like you did for George Mueller. Amen. Please stand.